Revolution will not be televised. Now it's my great honor and privilege to be able to welcome on to Radio One, Nikki Hager, investigative journalism. Kia ora, good morning. Nikki. Good morning. Pleased hey, to be here. Oh, look, it's, it's, it's great to have you. Uh, we've talked about many of the stories um, that you've been involved with throughout the years on this station, on this program, um, and you're down for this uh fantastic conference organized by the Department of Media, Film, and Communication, Surveillance, uh, oh my God, copyright. copyright, and privacy. You know I had this all down. Anyway, it's all good. Look, uh, how, what have you made of the conference uh, thus far? Me? Well, I was speaking yesterday, which means that my mind was on um, preparing things, but actually the, the th- best thing about the conference, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. not the uh, shuffling in and out of sessions where people deliver their papers, it's meeting the people and... and mm. um, it's always good to see that there's a community of people who care about issues like privacy and run into them and hear what they're saying and realize they know much more than I do about lots of things and they care about it deeply. So I've, I've, I've liked that. And um, unfortunately in New Zealand we might not always get the opportunity to, in public fora, uh, discuss about these, criti- these critical issues. Yeah, of course not. If you don't make opportunities to talk about things, you know, days slide by, years slide by. Yeah. At, at the uh, drinks last night, there was a great scene of you, uh, Vikram Kumar, Thomas Beagle, and Claire Curran all having a discussion. And um, I just felt a bit awkward sort of surreptitiously taking a picture, so I didn't do that. But uh, it was described as the Rebel Alliance by some people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Nikki, let's, let's, let's go back. Obviously, uh, this is an issue that you've been tracking for some 20 years more uh, as a journalist. Uh, and also, you know, kind of informed by your, your role in various activist movements uh, in New Zealand. T- take us back to, you know, the you know, the early days where you, where you broke the story around Echelon and what what you found then, and what's been what's the layer that's been added to this um, in in the Edward Snowden NSA uh, leaks. Yeah. Uh, now today, and uh, when Edward Snowden revelations are coming out every day or every week, new interesting ones, it can seem like intelligence is you know, it's talked about, everyone, you know, you, there's information around, but when I started working on this, it was in the usual state that intelligence things are, which is a great long silence, where there's no information coming out that no one knows anything, and so there's no debate or discussion going on, because there's nothing to bite on, there's no, no one knows anything. And at that stage, I, uh, it was the early days of people even knowing that there was something called a GCSB in New Zealand, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I made it one of my research topics to try to figure out what the GCSB was about. And um, the way it works with research is that if you're, um, if you, you know, if you come up to the brick wall and you can't find the crack in it, well then probably something else will get priority. But with this this project, I started digging around, and I found the key to crack. Um, part of how the, the GCSB fitted together. What I found was that they had hidden their staff inside the defense, the Ministry of Defense lists in Wellington. So they were a super secret agency which for years no one had even known existed. So they'd been putting their staff, listing their staff and their staff's positions and all the rest of it inside the list, the staff lists of another agency. Mm-hmm. And when I realized this, when it, I won't tell the long story of how it occurred to me, I managed to get a copy of the defense Wellington phone directory, yep. internal phone directory, and the we- defence Wellington defence list, and subtract one from the other, and it doesn't sound all that likely, but mm-hmm. I had pretty much a full list of all the staff and all their positions and places in the organisational diagram for our most secret intelligence agency, and that kind of uh, research breakthrough is, a, is is what leads someone like me on, because eventually I was interviewing 
lots of those different people. New mm-hmm. Zealand being a small country, I had friends who lived next door to them or knew them or mm. there were connections which would lead me to think that this one was an open-minded person whereas that one wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so once... You know, research research proceeds by small successes, and and that that's why I gradually got my way into it, and was able to um, uncover New, not just New Zealand's role in these things, but by talking to so many of these inside staff in New Zealand, how a lot of the international network worked. Yeah. Well, look, uh, and I know Abe wants to jump in here, but how would you describe? Uh, I mean, it seems that you have been able, to, like you say, to kind of you know network, you know you know someone who knows someone and these are approachable people and they don't seem to have the same kind of siege mentality that perhaps the US defense establishment has where all that stuff about you know imminent threats of terrorism and al-Qaeda I mean as as far as I can tell I mean the people inside really believe that stuff and these are also the people that have been quoted in BuzzFeed as saying that they would like to kill Edward Snowden and all the rest of it is there a different mentality in the New Zealand security defense (coughs) apparatus or is it similar in the sense of, you know, I mean, John Key does come out and say, well, you know, we need this legislation to protect us from terrorism. Do they believe that in our in our security agencies? Uh, I think I think one of the guiding principles of investigative journalism and research is that um, if you make assumptions like that everyone in the military is, thinks a certain way, you restrict yourself. Um, the people in the military in New Zealand, the people in intelligence agencies in New Zealand, went to the same schools as us. They're imbued with the same values, really. They, they see the same news. They have the same doubts. And some of them will be, will have been selected because they're kind of more rigid, militaristic types of people. And other ones, you know, did it, were doing computer science or something, which is instantly means that they're vaguely anti-authoritarian mm. or different, or they've mm. done a language yeah. degree, which means that they're not exactly you know the military mold necessarily and so um and so even inside something like an intelligence agency and it would be the same in the united states right. there's much more variety than you think and and it looks like why would any of them ever speak to a journalist why would they let their secrets out but they're people and if and if someone does the work and if you get lucky and you meet the right people and you're trustworthy enough for them to work with you that's how we find out about these things and like you said, I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with that um, very uh, small-town nature of New Zealand as an entire country, uh, that only two degrees of separation as opposed to six. So, you know, maybe if an uh, um, intrepid young researcher such as yourself happened to live in Fort Meade, Virginia, uh, then they might meet these kind of people or know people who knew them. But uh, that whole population is in our country of New Zealand. So you living in Wellington did put you in very close proximity to these people and the thing that I really found uh, interesting about your talk yesterday, I mean, I know a little bit about the history of secret power, uh, but you showed some photos that you had taken through the window of the GCSB <laughs> station in Waihopai, I yeah. believe. Um, so it was, yeah, that just sort of rural parochiality of, you know, not really a big fence. The windows are kind of open. You can just see through what's in there. And uh, if I understand correctly, some of your confirmation from what they were actually doing revolved around um, figuring out the position of the satellites seeing the sun shine through those Waihopai domes. Is that correct? That would, yeah, that's not a very precise way of seeing it. But, but yes, that's, well, my view of research is that you have to be innovative and you don't. there's no point of being scared. We live in a very free country. And so field work, meeting people, digging into archives... Um, 
that's the joy of research is that what it's not a it's not a, a ponderous thing it's actually finding clues and having ideas and yeah and detective work it. investigative detective work yeah mm. that's fun it, it sounds fun so, so look um one of the things uh, you know you watch some of the american kind of comedy shows and uh they talk about you know with the revelations of of prism the nsa it's you know wide network of surveillance and and the five eyes program Australia, Canada, UK, America, and New Zealand. It's like we're like a punchline. And that, how did New Zealand get drawn into this? What is what is your kind of uh, assessment of this historical uh, development, whereby we have become a kind of asset for the U.S. military uh, security surveillance uh, operations? I think you're right. It's a, it's a weird situation that New Zealand is on a list of five main Western intelligence allies. And on, on the Snowden documents, one, two, three, four, five, and there's New yeah. Zealand on the end of each one. It hey, punching it, it above it our weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. I feel so proud. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and I hope the counterintuitiveness, the, the strangeness of that actually registers with the public because, um, because it's actually got nothing to do with New Zealand in the 21st century. Where it dates from is back in our past that in the Second World War, the Brit- the British and the Americans worked together, mm. and the old colonies were invited in. It was actually nearly six eyes, by <laughs> the way. Who was the, the sixth? The sixth was going to be South Africa, another, oh, old, oh. An, another you know, <laughs> place where... <laughs> they had that whole apartheid problem. <laughs> well, yes, precisely, <laughs> but it was another former British air- territory with English-speaking white-faced people there, mm. available to be part of a t- r- trusted um, club but for re- but for reasons of the Second World War and then the beginning of the Cold War Britain brought in it, th- these three other allies with it which was Canada, Australia and New Zealand basically because of um, they were trusted white English speaking governments right. and they gave more of a geographical spread around the world that Canada mm-hmm. could look over the, the Arctic into the Soviet Union, Australia mm-hmm. and New Zealand were down here c- covering the other side of the world, mm. and so we were we were um, not equal partners. We were little dots on the end of a huge intelligence system, but they allowed us in it. And sixty or seventy years after the events which started it, um, that the reasons for that have, don't really exist anymore. But because these things are so secret. Um, they're the slowest ones to change. Uh, it, it's sort of like you've got one place on the lawn where the frost hasn't gone because it was covered from the sun and everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's no one in New Zealand, um, until my writing, um, knew how integrated we were. Mm. Maybe lots of people didn't even believe it then or didn't realise it. But if if there's total unawareness, it allows things to go on which are not really tied into the culture and, and, and current life of your own country. And that's what I think these things are. If, if, if you said to people today, should we be part of an alliance with the British and the Americans where we spy on, on all the countries around us, on their governments and leaders and things, and give that information to the Americans and the British to do what they want, and, and that will be the heart of our security intelligence activities, people would scratch their heads and think, what are you talking about? That could be a referendum. Yeah, (laughs) it may may not come to that point if, uh, I mean, that's the thing that you uh, spoke about yesterday in your talk is that there is a huge, uh, I mean, the the, the prevailing uh, ruling class or, you know, those within, uh, you know, the government believe that the costs of, of stepping out and, in a sense, I mean, we, we paid a certain amount of cost in, in, in resisting nuclear ships from the U.S., but this might be 
you know, the, the, the implications of that might be, you know, far greater if we were to step outside of, of this program. I mean, are we needed? I mean, can Australia not suck up the information in the Pacific that, that we are doing? I mean, if we disappeared from that alliance, they wouldn't even notice. Right. It would be called the Four Eyes Alliance. <laughs> but they would, they, would, they would exact a price for kind of, you know, uh, challenging <laughs> perhaps, you know, this, this program and that kind of hegemonic order, perhaps? Oh, definitely. The, the, yeah. the difficulty for New Zealanders is that we don't... This is what I was saying yesterday in my talk. It would seem like a, a, an independent country can decide we want to have greater, sec- we want to promote greater security on the internet. This is important for, for business, yeah. you know, for our citizens, mm. for our, our re- regional relationships. We we're actually increasing an Asian country. We want to readjust how we do things. Actually, New Zealand can't do any of that. Yeah. This is a tricky thing. With yeah. this very smallest ally and a very assertive and powerful alliance. You've got almost no decision-making power there, and and what I was saying is that we basically it's either in or out, and that's and that's why they try to keep these things secret because this gets less and less in sync with the direction and the beliefs and the culture of New Zealand, but there aren't in-between options. You're kind of in or out, mm-hmm. and, and we either do something which is less and less part of who we are, or we have to get out, and it will be as it will be rocky and, and tricky, and there'll be resistance from within the New Zealand bureaucracy, and there'll be threats from the American side. It's, it's, we're in a spot. Well, yeah. we're we're facing that. I mean, with the Kim dot com situation, essentially now that kind of uh, brought it to a head um, even more, and that obviously preceded the Snowden documents. But uh, the Snowden documents lent a lot more credibility to what we found was being deployed against one of our own legal residents. Um, and that that you know two degrees nature of New Zealand really allowed the truth to come out quite quickly, despite the obfuscation that was attempted in that case. Partly a two degrees of New Zealand um, separation in New Zealand, actually also because there was a man with a lot of money for lawyers. Yeah, well that's who right. Did a very yeah. thorough yeah. job and struck it lucky that, that they they they, f- they found what was happening. Yeah, mm. you have to have all the right ingredients. Mm. So do you think uh, you know? I mean, I guess stepping out of uh, five eyes and and embracing the consequences or, or being you know kind of clear-eyed about the consequences of this would require uh, in a sense a new peace movement in New Zealand something akin to you know the anti-nuclear movement um, do you see any impetus or momentum for that or I mean I mean you, you were there during those times what's different or do you have you know hope and optimism in that or uh, or is this or is the public largely cynical? Um, about, well, you know, yeah, they're always going to watch us and we accept that because we hit the terms and agreements at the Apple, you know, Mm. iTunes store and Facebook and they're watching, government's watching, what's the difference? I'm not sure about that. (coughs) Yes, Yes, several questions. I'm not sure about that complacency. I think think that complacency about whether people are being watched is is a scary thing and and I hope it's it's not going on. I I suspect that it's, it's kind of you know, it would be very hard to be 15 or 21 and not be part of all the the, the familiar pieces, the currently familiar pieces of, of social media and so on. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do, and so of course you've got to click the things because you'd be a social outcast if you don't. You've mm-hmm. got to you've got to you've got to make excuses for why you're. You know, you're not thinking about this stuff you've vaguely heard about how it might hurt your privacy and things, because mm-hmm. there's more urgent things to do with not being left behind socially. Mm. But over time, people catch up with these things. That's the way it really works. Over t- and that's what's needed, is that, is that there'll be 
shocking revelations and people things will you know there'll be things that will come out about what's gone wrong and people will gradually process this and then they will change their views on this that that there's been new technology it's been embraced kind of uncritically and then people sort it out i think and and to what extent but i haven't answered the other part of your question so i better do it because it was an important one which is how will change happen on this i the way that political change happens is it needs to feed on information that if, that if there's a great silence and there's no new news and there's the government refuses to comment, it is very hard to get political debate and agitation and change. And that's, and the more secret the subject is, the more protected it is from political change just for that practical reason. And so what, will, will this, will this have an impetus for change? I think it's a lot to do with the information side of it actually. If, if the Snowden papers run out, if the GCSB bill is forgotten, if they clamp down the GCSB again um, and no more information comes out, then I think it will be, be hard to get changed. But if there continues to be information comes out, that if there's been enough, if the example of Edward Snowden is in the minds of some people sitting in the GCSB or if there's mm-hmm. enough people have been awakened by this, then the pressure will build. And then actually it's not so much, it's half is the pressure from the public. But then we're actually looking for some politicians who've got some guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the other ingredient, which even a big movement wouldn't create by itself. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in your talk yesterday that uh, we have yet to see the New Zealand section of the Snowden documents. That's right. But there were signals, essentially, that some people in New Zealand have seen them. Um, would you care to talk a little bit more about that or speculate on uh, what we might see coming out of the New Zealand-based Snowden documents just based on your following of the issue for so long and uh, this idea of you know, needing constant new news? Um, it looks like it is going to be in the news this election year. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be. It hasn't come to me, but I, I don't mind once <laughs> it comes out. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty inevitable. If you've got thousands and thousands of documents from a five-nation alliance where they've attended meetings together and they've trained together and they've had, you know, the, the different delegations have turned up with PowerPoints to boast about how they're contributing to this program or that program, there's going to be New Zealand documents there. Mm-hmm. Because the New Zealanders, have, if, if, you, if you get flown to London or it's, uh, some base somewhere in, in, in the US to a joint, very secret joint signals intelligence conference, and you're doing a presentation, you want to show how how useful your country's been and how much you've embraced the new technologies and how you're using the new the new program that was introduced at the meeting before and so on. Those papers will be sitting around and they're quite likely, it's, it's likely that some of them will be amongst the Snowden ones given the, the, the depth and quality of documents which have come so far. So that's what's coming down the road. I suspect that there will be uh, documents where people are reporting on their monitoring of different countries in our region, which is exact mirror image of the most controversial part of the Snowden thing so mm. far, which is why is Britain spying on its European partners? And why what you found with Echelon. Yeah. Mm. Exact mirror image. Yes, well, it's actually the same news, but the news has to be repeated more <laughs> yeah, than once. Yeah, often yeah. or else it's not going to have any effect, so that's fine with me. Um, so I suspect there are going to be documents coming out which, which reveal, which name and discuss particular targets and the tools that were used to spy on them and it's going to be painful for the government and for the agency to try to justify that to the public. And economic espionage like fisheries or uh, other sort of trade negotiation type things, leaning on people for uh, maybe the Whaling Commission or some of these world trade maybe, bodies, things like maybe. that. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I don't know what's there, but that's got, that's the kind of thing that will be there. Yep. So you've written a lot about you know state spying and and its you know connection to military uh, intelligence and all the rest of it. But you've also written uh, about the spying on activists, uh, the way you know various you know whether it's state energy companies or whoever go out and and spy and see various activists you know exercising their democratic rights as you know enemy subversives more or lesser you know mm. uh how much is and, and obviously this question of of the state and and an idea of kind of a 1984 big brother is is a problem but but how much you know when we look at the proposed american reforms which talks about outsourcing metadata to private companies how much are we looking at a kind of corporatist surveillance uh, or how much is national interest conflated with these questions of economic interests and doing favors for you know the companies that are really important to your national economy I wonder if there's some crossover there in a little country like this where you're the smallest ally the our GCSB it will, will not be playing many games with informal relationships with businesses or things I think they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're too small and insecure to do that um, however you raise the issue of um, surveillance of political people, and there's two things I'd like to say about this, which I have to keep saying because actually, I think the thing I least like about one of my research areas being in re- intelligence is that I am I'm purveying, I'm I'm encouraging people to fear the security <laughs> services. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've got two things to say. The first one is that that um, most political people in New Zealand are not being spied on. We live in one of the most free countries in the world. I work with people around the world who do my work in countries where the journalist can be shot, the um, political people, the campaigners can be rounded up. Mm-hmm. It's not like that in New Zealand. And anybody who's a journalist or a political person trying to play a public role in New Zealand who feels scared needs to read more about other countries and get mm-hmm. over it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we live in an astonishingly free place. And if we put a sense of limitation and fear on ourselves and we're too scared to use our phones and we wonder whether we should be involved in politics because it might hurt our career or something... Well, then God help all the people in other countries <laughs> mm-hmm. who actually yeah. do manage to do politics and to change their countries and do yeah. the right thing. And so, so I don't want to be part of, mm-hmm. whoa, you know, keep your head down because there's surveillance everywhere because I just don't believe that. We live in an incredibly free country. Mm-hmm. However, the reason I do that work is that I think that the protection of political speech is a really vital thing. That, for example, the clumsy police and private investigation, infiltration of little environment groups and things, yeah. that breaks the groups. Those groups are built on trust. They're not funded by corporations and will roll on with their PR yeah. staffs anyway. Mm, yeah. they're, they're, you, can, you can hurt those if you um, fracture them with realizing they've got spies inside them or they can't trust each other. Maybe that this was the goal. <laughs> no, I think it was clumsy and, and unthinking, actually. I don't think they understood what they were playing with. And so my view is that there should be, uh, unless you've got a long history of political violence, and we have a no history of political yeah. violence, mm. there is no justification for any surveillance of political people. And just like intelligence services have more or less have a rule that they do not step into Parliament and spy on MPs, yep. actually, a sensible, democratic, free society should have no surveillance of political people. Mm. And if there's ever a serious crime, fine, come and investigate it. There might be one 20 years from now. But in the meantime, you don't do that to your political sphere. I feel really strongly about this. And in the time that you've been conducting all this work on these sensitive issues in New Zealand and going to other countries, have you ever... Um, you know, obviously, from what you just said, you're not you're not the paranoid type. Have you ever felt like you've noticed any sort of surveillance on you or any sort of um, dirty tricks to undermine some of the stuff that you've published or planned to publish? 
Uh, the, the main thing that happens to me is everyone sees it. I get slagged off. Yeah, <laughs> in I, the opinion I pages. Get, I get. What do you do in the public relations? You know, what what does what's what the public relations people advise when you when bad news comes out about someone? You duck. Mm-hmm. You deny everything. You attack the messenger. Mm-hmm. I've You're seen I've seen a master student in the political studies department at Otago, or maybe it was an honor student, uh, write a, a paper about Don Brash's leadership exit. And the, this person was asked by Brian Roper, who's a friend of the show, what, what about the hollow men? Oh, no, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, Nikki Hager, lefty conspiracy theorist. Sorry, so th- <laughs> you talk about what, yeah, I mean, our proudest, New Zealand Seymour Hirsch, uh, you know, slagged off in that way. And it's, it's interesting to see the journalism fraternity at times turn uh, on your work. Is that um, I'll tell you a comforting story for me, which is that Seymour Hirsch, who I do think very highly of, the mm-hmm. American investigative journalist, was in New Zealand a few months ago. Oh, really? He was t- talking in Wanaka and... and yeah, at a like book club or... Yeah, yeah, yeah and I was speaking at the same thing and we spent an evening together. And he gets treated exactly the same <laughs> yeah. Yeah. by the US media yeah. and other people. It's actually... It is part of social control. It is that we none of us like to be belittled and things. And, and if people see that happening, they're less likely to do that. And you just have to have a... You, you just have to get over but it. But you're rock stars in Wanaka. Abe, uh, why didn't you get Cy Hirsch booked for this show, uh, Abe? You were I, I saw it after the fact oh on man. Twitter. Oh, you're, man. You're the, you're we're going to have to have words guy. about this. <laughs> All right. No, look, sorry. I've got a couple questions that we can wrap up. You, you've uh, you've talked about the, n- the desperate need for whistleblowers inside the system to come out to, you know, it's a huge risk. It's a tremendous risk. But, you know, there's people, there's journalists, there's there's activists ready to support them and their endeavors. Uh, Edward Snowden has paid a big personal cost uh, to do what he has done. And, and it's easy to see how a whistleblower feels it's them against the world. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much risk. But I wonder, you know, uh, Edward Snowden elicited some support from, you know, kind of crazy right wing Republican libertarian types. I wonder if he had stayed in the U.S. Um, and perhaps he could have been a better rallying point for a more substantive movement in the U.S. than going to Putin's Russia and and being kind of trotted out there for the political purposes of the Russian government at times. And um, I wonder what your thoughts are about that. We all acknowledge Edward Snowden's tremendous uh, contribution to, to, to you know the projects that we're involved with, but um, wh- what do you make of, of that question? Let me say first... I don't think that Edward Snowden will feel that he's paid a, paid a huge personal cost. I think that he will go to bed at night mm-hmm. feeling very comfortable and proud of himself. Mm-hmm. That's my personal belief. Mm-hmm. And the whistleblower, not 100% of the time, but the people I've known who have been sources on very important stories of all sorts, not just surveillance, all the other areas that I work on, um, they generally, f- I think, feel that this is one of the really important and satisfying things they've done in their life, that it wasn't scary and horrible mm-hmm. it had to be careful mm-hmm. it had to be sensible it had to be thought through well but that this is they feel alive this is really good um, on the specifics of Edward Snowden I don't think he had particularly carefully p- or clearly planned out where he was going no. to land no. but if he had stayed in the US he would have been um, 
It would have been really nasty. He'd be in solitary. He would be in solitary confinement, and there would be people banging for his blood. He'd be assaulted in prison, and he'd just die, and we'd be like, well, oh, I'm not right. sure he'd Hold die, on. but Hold it would on. be... But, but, I mean, Daniel Ellsberg is kind of beyond... I mean, he would... No, I think... I, perhaps the political clamor from both sides, because now, if you say that you support Snowden, you support Putin's Russia, or you can be very I, easily slandered. Well, I, if actually, I don't think most people okay. are doing that, and he won't be in Russia for much longer. I mean, that was an accident that he went there. That wasn't right. his plan. You think they'll work some deal out? I think he'll be living in Europe soon, probably. Okay. Or possibly he'll go back to the States, although I kind of hope not, because it would be shutting him down if he did. I love how Obama says, oh, it's really important that we had this debate, but we still have to get Snowden. But the thing, was, yeah. but the thing is, if, if, uh, you know, if he does go to China and talk to Chinese media about, yeah, they spied on you here, here, and here, and he goes to Russia and he says, this is what I know, it is, can be seen, like the legal case against him, by the U.S. government against him is a lot stronger than if he had stayed. Well, they spied on everybody. He can't go anywhere and not tell someone that they got spied on. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, he hasn't been going and trading information for, for the ability right. to stay in Russia. Right. I, I think the Russian government has cynically seen that of course. this is a good way to stick it to the U.S. without there being any deal required. And that yep. just, it just, it was been sort of an assertion of their independence as a major nation is, is what they're seeing it as. Mm. So it wasn't the ideal landing point, but what was? If he'd come to New Zealand, we would have handed him over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Look, uh, and lastly, the question I want to get—I don't know if Abe's got anything else—but um, uh, Glenn Greenwald has been the the, the journalist, uh, in a sense, you know, running or you know, the main kind of uh, go-to for this story. He has the documents ex- at at the moment, uh, as the Guardian uh, was made to, you know purge their hard drives by the UK government. Uh, Greenwald, Laura Poitras are the kind of exclusive uh, holders of that cache of information and it would appear that they are that they've now partnered up obviously they've partnered up with Piero Midiar for a big new media venture that's being you know funded to the tune of something like $250 million. Do you think they are, you know, in a sense I mean Glenn Greenwald is a lawyer and a blogger, uh, come journalist as a journalist, do you think they're handling this story well? And is there an ethical concern about the way in which this is perhaps being used to, in a sense, launch a new media venture? It's not in the WikiLeaks mold of a kind of public trust, you know, for, for global citizens to disseminate. It is, you know, we, we're going to assume it's going to be a private media company. Is that is that a concern for you at all? My impression of Glenn Greenwald was that he had established himself as a really fine journalist and public figure Mm-hmm. Before the stuff came to him, before the Snowden materials came to him, he was already releasing the Snowden materials in a very effective and um, and kind of committed way before any of that media that media pr- um, proposal came right. up. So I think the suggestion that he was kind of trading on the stuff to advance himself would be completely wrong. And the thing which I love about the way they're doing it, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I assume they know exactly what they're doing with this, is that if the Snowden materials had been released over a, a few days or a week or even just a month it would have been survived it would have been a great big splash yep. and then it would have stopped and it would have been old news but the trickling is absolutely perfect mm-hmm. I love it because it's meaning that there's time there's time for people to absorb each individual piece of news and it's not just a great big splash that gets summarised in a few words and the rest of it gets lost lost to 99% of the world it's trickling out slowly and so I don't think they could be doing a better job. They deserve our huge credit for it. 
Right on. And uh, and Nikki Hager, we thank you for all the work that you've done on this and so many other issues. And, of course, you know, thank you so much for being on the program. Abe wants to squeeze in one last question. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, pretty exclusive to have this long interview with you. We really appreciate it, and we really appreciate your contributions to the conference, coming down here, letting the Dunedin public uh, drink all that in. Um, Without giving too much away, just for our avid listeners, what should we be? Uh, what subjects should we be paying attention to in the future, or what are you going to be working on maybe next that we might see coming out? Give us some hints. Oh, <laughs> That's a really mean question. Yeah, no, no, well. um, I'm the tax haven stuff was amazing. Uh, by the way, I, I've, tax havens have, have, have mostly come and gone for me. I'm writing a few more stories on it. At the moment, I'm not writing. I, I can officially announce here that I'm not writing a book at the moment. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. I yeah. do not have one big project on. I'm kind of partly um, recovering from working incredibly hard on tax havens for a yeah. while, and so I have uh, a, a really good set of smaller projects I'm doing. Some of which I hope you'll see not too far away. Yep. But but because they're hard projects, because I. I I do the things which I think no one else will do. I don't always know that they'll work out, but if some yeah. of the ones that I work um, with we'll come out, I hope you'll know. Yeah, awesome. Nikki Hager, thank you so much for being Hager. on the revolution. Oh. Everyone's mispronounced you know, that. It's, <laughs> it's my last try while he's listening. It's the American in me. That's what it, it's, anyway, listen, we thank you so much for being on the revolution. We'll not be televised and hope to have you back on. Will do. Sometime down the line. All the best with your work going forward. Peace. Peace.